Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Husmo Black Forum. Here we do it bigger. We do it better. We do it longer. And out of necessity, we'll do it louder than anyone out here. So relax. Here's your host, Husmo Black. Word for it. Y'all don't know it already. 
got a great, great uh, day today. Uh, World Series, though. The World Series uh, kicked off. I don't even know what. I don't even know where that thing stands. I don't even know where it stands. Though. When the Braves, when my team check out, I don't seem to uh, have the same enthusiasm for uh, for uh, the game for the World Series. Uh, when the when the Braves checked out, I uh, kind of checked out. But yes, the Giants and uh, Kansas City Royals. I, I'm betting on the Royals, but I, I, I'm a National League team now. I'm betting on the Royals, but I'm rooting for the Giants. Seems like to me the Royals just a uh, team of destiny. This year, I believe they're uh, the team of destiny this year. I don't know why, because I I I, uh, I haven't been following uh, the American League. I very seldom uh, uh, tune into the American League, but I really I don't know if anyone had them on their radar when the season started. Now they seem to seem like they're destined to. Uh, the team of destiny this year. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't even know. But uh, uh, I, I don't even know who uh, who's favorite in this thing. Yeah, who, who's who's favorite? Anybody know? I'll be on here in another about another hour. It'll be on. Kansas City won that thing last night. Those two won, so the Jazz are playing from behind. Uh, I don't know. I, like I said, I'm. I'm betting on Kansas City, but I'm rooting for the Giants. That's kind of a hard place to be right now. Ferguson, Missouri, still in the news, y'all. I thought that uh, seemed like uh, they got more leaks in that grand jury than a sister, y'all. They got more leaks in that thing than a sister. Uh <laughs> I, I don't know. Attorney General says he's kind of upset about how information is dribbling out, seeming uh, like, I don't know how they conclude that how this somehow backing up the police story. We ain't heard the police story. We ain't heard the side of the story. We know he shot the boy six times. Uh, we know, uh, uh, and the last uh, uh, four or five times the boy was shot, he was running down the street. And the police was outside of his car, so I don't know how he was fearing for his life outside of the car, running somebody with a darn uh, nine millimeter. He shoot, 
he's shooting at an unarmed kid with a nine millimeter, and he's afraid, afraid of for his life. Does that make sense? I mean, first of all, when the boy got inside his car, reached his arm in his car, why didn't he just pull off, pull up a few yards, and drag him along to get him off the car? The car was running. Put it in gear and move on. You're going to get the boy off your, uh, you're going to get his arm out of your car. Or, uh, you're going to break it all. Why didn't he do that? Oh, he shot it. And then got out the car and continued to shoot the boy as he was running up the street. Now, that's the eyewitness. Now, how, at what point did he stop fearing for his life? The last two or three shots when he shot him in the head? Is that when he really stopped fearing for his life after he shot the boy six times? Oh, wait, what? Hey, uh, I, I'm just saying, this thing is crazy. That's why the people are so upset of, uh, uh, in Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri. This thing just don't make no sense. Here's a police, uh, a boy come up to your car, reach in your car, and you're afraid for your life, yet you don't drive off. Well, you shot him. That's what you did. You shot him while he was in your car. And then you got out of your car and continued to shoot him. At what point did you stop fearing for your life? When the boy was 20 feet uh, down the road, <laughs> turning around with his hands up, did you still fear for your life at that time or what? Come on, y'all. Stuff don't make sense. It don't add up to me. This stuff just don't add up to me now. I, I'm not a criminologist, but... Uh, I've got some pretty common sense. I can know that if somebody reached in my car and my car was running, I'm putting my car in gear and driving off and dragging whoever's arm is in my car with me. But he chose to shoot this boy. Not only just shoot him while he had his arm in your in his car, he got outside the car and while the boy was running down the street, shot him. Again and again and again. So come on. Uh, they still got some, a lot of answers, uh, uh, a lot of questions to be asked about that first. And in my mind, this thing ain't going to ever be um, brought to any kind of reasonable conclusion until the uh, Sort of all uh, ambiguities out. <laughs> they got to sort a lot of stuff out out there, and they haven't uh, done that as of yet. To my satisfaction, anyway, just little old me. Uh, I find a whole lot of holes in uh, uh, this story. Uh, a whole lot of holes in this story, y'all. Oh, yeah. A whole lot of holes in this story. We uh, Ebola. One of the ladies, uh, Miss uh, Nina Pham, she was released from. NIH, National Institute of Health, up in Washington yesterday. Went to the White House, got a hug from the president. 
Oh, last I've heard, uh, Miss uh, Amber Vincent was free of the virus. They've been taking her blood count here for the last two or three days, and she seemed to be free. So hopefully, uh, God willing, she'll be uh, coming up out of Embry any day now. It's all good news. Although they've created a panic. The Republicans are trying to create a panic uh, about this thing. <laughs> it's a scary disease, y'all. I don't think uh, that it's going to be a widespread epidemic here in this country. Uh, West Africa is where the problem is at. It's where we need to be concentrating on. And, and that's where the government is is uh, allocating uh, quite a bit of resources right now. I see where Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, just kicked in another hundred million on top of twenty-six million that he had gave. Kicked in another hundred million, and that's what it's going to take to uh, get it under control over there. The people that the uh, entrepreneurs, uh, billionaires, have to step up to. Uh, to chip in on this thing to contain it. And I think that's I'm thankful for uh, people like uh, Paul Allen, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He kicked in 26 million. That's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. I see where UNICEF has put up a website. I guess I'll go out there and try to put in my little $2. I'll put in my little $2 through UNICEF or some other uh, charitable organization that uh, that's working on that uh, on that uh, pandemic in uh, West Africa. Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia. Those places are desperate. They need our help desperately. Everybody out there on Facebook, y'all go out there to the UNICEF and chip in $2. All my friends, I'm pledging $2. I want everybody uh, sound of my voice to pledge $2 to the West African Ebola fight. Yeah, let's go out on the internet. You can find a place to give it. Be careful who you give to now. There's a lot of scams. You know, anytime there's a... Uh, there's a uh, epidemic or some grave emergency like this, you're always going to get your share of, you're always going to have your share of uh, rip-off artists. I think UNICEF is pretty, a pretty safe bet. Don't take my word for it. Just check it out for yourself. But UNICEF, I found, as far as I, I can tell, is a pretty safe place to to give. But everybody needs to uh, chip in and give what they can. Elections coming up, y'all. Just about a, a little over a week away. November 4th, y'all. Mark it down. Get out. Vote. It's important. We have got to 
get out and vote. Everybody has got to get out and vote. My Georgians, my fellow Georgians, it's critical that we get uh, a Democratic senator and a Democratic governor in this state. It's critical. There is no reason for a state that's 50% Democrat, 40% black, to have two Republican senators and a Republican governor. It's, it's just not, uh, 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 it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we don't get out and exercise our political clout, if you will. It doesn't make sense. We've got to get out and vote. Everybody has got to get out and vote. Now, I don't know how much better the Democrats are. I know for a fact, none of the Republicans here in Georgia over the last 11 years, since Sonny Perdue uh, became uh, the first Republican governor since Reconstruction, the state of Georgia has gone from about 27th in unemployment to dead last. To dead last, y'all. Georgia is dead last in unemployment. That's over the population. Imagine what the black uh, uh, unemployment is in Georgia here, y'all. Imagine. It's up, uh, uh, over 20%, y'all. Black unemployment in this state is over 20%. That's a disgrace, y'all. That's a disgrace. A governor refusing to expand Medicaid, refusing access to affordable health care to some 600,000 Georgians, y'all, right here in this state today with the threat of intravirus, with the threat of Ebola, if it's a threat. Uh, don't you know that the more people that have health care uh, is going to be a benefit to uh, everybody? The early prevention, the early detection that it provides, don't you know that that's a benefit to all of Georgia's Georgians, the entire population, the entire nine plus million Georgians here in this Stern state, all of them deserve a chance at affordable health care. We need to get out and vote somebody in who's going to uh, provide that, provide access to it. And expanding Medicaid would be a way to get 600,000 more Georgians access to affordable health care. We have got to get out and vote, y'all. We cannot, we can no longer stand by where uh, this government, the government of this state, ignore so many of its citizens because they don't like uh, the president. <laughs> they don't like the president. Hey, racism got a lot to do with that, y'all. Oh, it's not the whole thing. I mean, they might have some disagreements with his policy, but about 35% of the people don't like him because he's black. That's just a fact, y'all. That's 70 million people. Hey, that's 70 million people that don't like this president, y'all, just because of his color. And that's that's skewing the politics of today. I mean, the guy can't govern because of his color. He can't govern because of uh, his color, period. They refuse to... Uh, approve uh, uh, in this critical time a Surgeon General. The country is still without a Surgeon General, y'all. Who would be the point man in this Ebola uh, scare that they're trying to drum up? 
yet they sitting around uh, and will not approve the Surgeon General that the president nominated almost a year ago. Yeah, this guy's been in limbo a whole year uh, because the NRA uh, uh, don't approve of the fact that he had the audacity to suggest that somehow uh, guns uh, was a health issue. <laughs> and we've had uh, counting yesterday the school shooting in uh, uh, Maryville, Washington, 87 uh, such incidents since uh, the massacre up there in Connecticut in the elementary school where 26 uh, young folks died. And yet the NRA refused to uh, allow the gutless, uh, the gutless, uh, uh, Wonders up there in Congress to approve this Surgeon General who uh, suggests that uh, somehow guns, when it's 90 guns to every 100 Americans in the street, that somehow uh, that proliferation of guns on the American streets somehow dangerous and harmful to the health of the citizens here in this country. And yet, uh, <laughs> we have incidents like uh, the 14-year-old going into high school, shooting up the place, and then turning the gun on itself. A 40 caliber Beretta in a 14-year-old's hand. And that's not, uh, somehow, that's not uh, viewed by the NRA as a problem. Somehow the NRA don't view that as being a problem. Hey, y'all, people better wake up. People better wake up, y'all. It's about uh, 22 minutes after 7, y'all. We rambling on here. We done ran through a break, but uh, you know how we do when we get started. Don't get the hush more started out there. I said it before you get me started. I'm going to tell everything I know. You get me started talking. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, welcome to the Hustle Black Forum. Well, about it is to do it bigger, to do it better, to do it longer, and out of necessity, sometimes we'll do it louder than anybody out here on Blog Talk. Yeah. Hey, our motto is to, uh, well, we advocate for what we do. We advocate for social justice on behalf of American of African descent. Not not because we don't love everybody. We love everybody, just by extension. We uh, we advocate for uh, that community. And Lord knows we need all the advocacy we can get, y'all. These are trying times, see. These are trying times in our community and the country at large. I mean, we we got we got some serious uh, things going on in the world, y'all. Not only ISIS, but Ebola pandemic, pandemic. What is it, a pandemic or? The Ebola epidemic is definitely an epidemic. It's not a pandemic uh, in West Africa. You got ISIS on the Mars recruiting folks all over the world to come over there to die, <laughs> fighting for some call. I'm not quite sure what they're fighting for. Not yet. I'm still not sure what they're fighting for. <clears throat> as some uh, as some jihadists out there listening to me, give me a call and let me know what they're fighting for. I can't understand it. Uh, 
God surely don't uh, condone it. Oh, it's only one God. Now, I don't know what God they, uh, <laughs> I don't know what God they prescribe it to, but uh, the one that I uh, hooked up with, I, I'm sure he don't uh, prescribe uh, the uh, silliness that uh, is going on there. Oh no, y'all! <laughs> oh no, that uh, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism—they all pray to the same God, y'all. Oh no, they all came from Abraham. All those three religions came out of Abraham, yeah, as far as I know, as far as I know. Now, the Yazidi, the Yazidi people over there, they got a different uh, take on things, yeah. Y'all know anything about the Yazidis? They got a slightly different take on uh, on where they came from, where they got their religion from, yeah, as far as I know. Those other three world religions, uh, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and Islam, they all come from Abraham. Yeah. I, <laughs> hey. So they, they got to be praying to the same God. There's only one God. Yeah, that's right. Hey, me, I ain't no prophet, preacher, or teacher, nothing like that. But I know that there's only one God. <clears throat> I know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. Absolutely. I, yeah, I call them. In my darkest hour, I call them. Mm-hmm. Answered my call. And, uh, set me in a higher place, as the uh, scripture says that. Psalms 118, verse 5, y'all, is one of my favorites. I call on the Lord in stress, and he answered. And set me in a higher place. Psalms 118. Verse five, yeah. I I don't preach out anymore. We don't get into it, but we, <laughs> uh, unless we have to, maybe unless we have to. Hey, that's what that maybe where the world's at today. <laughs> the world might uh, need to be calling on uh, God or somebody right now. It seems like it's going up in smoke. So, and sure enough, when whenever man get to the point in uh, uh, their daily uh, activities, when they uh, get to the point where they can't uh, get this thing straight and go too far off uh, course, the equilibrium get too far uh, off balance. Uh, In case they need to uh, get it in balance, guess what? Hey, man upstairs, (laughs) you'll... uh, He'll balance uh, all that stuff out for him. He'll get that stuff back in balance, y'all. And don't mind doing it. <laughs> oh, no, the man upstairs don't mind doing it. Now, if you, he wants you to work it out yourself. But if you can't, that man can't work it out, uh, he'll gladly, he'll gladly uh, fill that role. Hey, y'all, you got me to hush, but just rambling on out here. We ain't preaching. We don't want to preach to you. No, we, we're just uh, rambling on here tonight, uh, October 25th. Our last, last show, and what is it? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll be back out here when? Uh, November 1st? November? Yeah, November. November 1st. We'll be back November 1st. 
same time, same station, y'all. Seven and nine every series we come to you. Live and in living color over Blog Talk, Blog Talk Radio, y'all. We got a call in number one eight 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 five eight eight three eight one four. That's triple eight. Five eight eight three eight one four. We don't take many calls out here. We will. We we just uh hey y'all, I better send out a shout to my Facebook friends too to let them know that I'm out here. I'm shucking and jiving and I I I forgot to do my do my uh, promotion here so I can let my Facebook friends know. Let them know that I'm out here. Yeah. They wanna uh but yeah, you know how they are. People are always uh Mm. Gotta let them know what the deal is so that they can uh, tune in. Tell a friend about us. Go to my website, hushboblack.com. Hushboblack.com, yeah. Go there. That's uh, hushboblack.com, my website. Go there. Buy my new book, Racism and Hate, an American Reality, my new book. Got a great take on uh, <clears throat> what's going on in the society today. I mean, it's just a collection of documents, essays, and analysis uh, dealing with uh, our history here in this country, uh, how the separate equal laws uh, devastated the uh, my people, and, and in fact, the whole country, the separate equal laws. That's, you know, this economic inequality thing, that's not just a new phenomenon. This thing that's going on for uh, for 200 years, I mean, yeah, uh, has a lot to do with the economic inequality, yeah, because uh, America's African descent was never reparated. <laughs> never received reparations for uh, the injuries suffered under the Seven Equal Laws. I was born here in Georgia in 1945 without 14th Amendment protection. Yeah, those that uh, uh, the gist of it is uh, the Seven Equal Laws took away uh, 14th Amendment protections for Americans of African descent up until 1954 when Brown overturned uh, set aside separate equal laws that was codified on the Plessy versus uh, Ferguson uh, 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 case in 1896. Uh, that thing codified all the Jim Crow laws in the South into one federal law uh, uh, allowing for uh, blacks in this country to be separated out of uh, white society. Is what it amounted to. Oh yeah, when they drug Homer Plessy off that train, that was tantamount to uh, separating Americans of African descent out of white society. That's what it amounted to. When they took him off that train, they drug him off that train and locked him up in a cold jail cell by itself. <laughs> Y'all don't know. Hey. Uh, We uh just trying to inform out there. That's what we do, provide a platform for the ninety percent of our community that uh, seldom heard. 
Uh, we got our ten percent out there doing great, great work. They all sharpers, the Joy Reese, the Alyssa Ferris Harry's, the the Michael Dyson's. We got a great, great uh we got a great, great core of advocates out there. About ten percent of us out there talking, getting our word out, advocating on our behalf every day. The other ninety percent is seldom heard. The other ninety percent of our community is seldom heard. That's why I urge everybody to uh, get out there, put the uh, force out there, join in the conversation, write about your history, write your uh, family uh, history, and uh, so that people know uh, that we're still here and been here and not going anywhere and uh, demand uh justice, equal justice, uh, like every other American citizen. We demand our equal justice. We demand uh, reparations for the injuries suffered, especially those Americans that can have said born prior to 1954 was directly injured by uh, the separate equal laws. That's just a fact, y'all. Was directly uh, uh, injured by anybody uh, Americans that can have said born prior to 1954 was subjected to uh, the separate equal laws, violating our 14th Amendment rights here in this country. Yeah. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Yeah. Financial injuries. Rambling on, y'all. We just rambling on. Gonna take a quick pause for the calls here, y'all. It's about, uh, wow, 25 minutes to eight, y'all. How how time flies when you're having fun. We're gonna take a quick pause here for the calls, and we'll be right back. Y'all hang in there. Advocating on your behalf, you're listening to the Hushmo Black Forum. Your friends about us Saturday, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Right here in Cyberspace.
Welcome back, huh? We uh we just all over here, y'all. Yeah. We don't know what happened out there and uh in Washington. Uh guy seemed like he's a Native American Fryberg. I'm thinking that's probably he looked at it. Uh, what happened? It seemed like he shut up a couple of his own cousins. So I don't know how, what happened there. Young kid, 14 years old. Notice how Fox refused to even cover that story. or had very little on it that I've seen. They don't... Uh, to cover stories uh, with gun violence. I think the NRA probably got them bullied too. <laughs> I don't care how many, I, don't, I, I think the NRA got the Fox, uh, 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 that Fox uh, network over there bullied in their pocket. They didn't even cover that story. I, I turned over and tried to uh, pick up a couple of uh, tapes on it. They didn't even cover it. Not, not at least they, they may have said something about it. I, I don't know. I know while I was looking for when the story was on every other channel in the country, Fox didn't have anything to say about it. They didn't have anything to say about uh, this 14-year-old with a a 40-caliber Glock, or a 40-caliber Beretta. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, y'all. They, they think that might... Uh, uh, cause some alarm in the election, y'all. They don't want to do anything to upset the base that uh, might uh, drive people away from voting on them on November 4th. I think they got a, a big, huge surprise coming November 4th, y'all. They got a huge surprise coming November 4th. <laughs> I believe. I think that the Democrats is going to turn people out like they uh, uh, haven't seen before. I think Democrats are going to turn people out like they haven't even seen before, y'all. And Democrats better turn out like they've never turned out before, (laughs) y'all. That's what I say. They better turn out like they haven't turned out before. They better beat the numbers in 2008 and 2012. They better beat those numbers here in 2014. They better beat both of those numbers, y'all. They have got to beat both of those numbers. (laughs) If they uh, if they uh, any hope for this country, they need to beat both of those numbers. Hey, I'm just saying, y'all. I ain't crying wolf. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, they got to get out of the boat. We have got to get out of the boat, y'all.
too worried about uh, them taking over the center. In fact, I think they might pick up some seats in the House. I think the Democrats going to pick up some If it wasn't for the gerrymandering, the gerrymandering of the congressional districts, uh, there's no way that this state of Georgia could be 50 50 uh, with the Democrats and uh, Republican Congress, uh, Congress people uh, in that uh, Congress up there in this state. It should be 50-50. Yes, more Democrats in Georgia than there's Republicans, although we know. Yeah, Republicans, all of a sudden, uh, the state was Democrat up until 2003. And all of a sudden, all the whites decided they were going to be a Republican. And the Dixiecrats, uh, the Dixiecrats, they all uh, switched party. For whatever reason, they can, you know, <laughs> they have a... Uh, 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 they are free to do that. They are free to do that. But at the end, I mean, there's no way that they can uh, coexist. The Confederate and the Union, <laughs> they can't coexist. And, and right now it's showing up. Uh, you got the Rand Pauls, the Tia Cruz, and the Marco Rubios, and the Chris Crispies, the Scott Walkers. <laughs> All those folks are lumping to be it together <laughs> in the Republican Party, and they're supposed to be a happy, some kind of happy union. So it's imploding, you know. Right before our face, it's imploding. I don't mean they might pretend. They might pretend to get along. They might pretend to get along. But no, that can't work. The party of Lincoln, you think the party of Lincoln can, uh, can coexist with the the party of Davis and Lee? <laughs> you think the party of Lincoln could coexist with the party of Lincoln uh, or with Davis and uh, Robert E. Lee? Come on, y'all. Does that make sense? Who are they kidding? Who are they trying to kill you? That's a marriage uh, uh, destined to uh, uh, fail. It's a marriage destined to fail, y'all. Come together if they got a common enemy. And that's what they're trying to create with uh, this president. <laughs> this black president, uh, they are trying to uh, come together with that uh, common denominator. This black president. Hey, they did it, too. They did it after the Civil War, y'all. They did it after the Civil War. They got together and repealed the Southern Homestead Act took that 46 million acres off the books and gave 43 million back to the federal government. That was a collusion between uh, the good old Dixiecrats and uh, the uh, Republicans uh, up north, the capitalists uh, on, uh, 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 in the north. They got together and shook hands. They had a common enemy there. They were, uh, a common denominator was uh, black labor, trying to keep blacks in their place, uh, trying to keep and uh, suppress uh, the labor cost of uh, the ex-slaves there. Trying to keep the labor cost as close as possible to uh, the cost of uh, slave labor. Yeah. They did it. They did it. So, yeah, that president, that black president provides a uh, common denominator for them to uh, 
coexist temporarily, coexist temporarily, this president's going to be gone now in two years, then what? <laughs> this president's going to be gone in two years, then what? Hey, we don't have that uh, common denominator no more. That's what they don't realize. <laughs> that black president's going to be gone. And they, they're no longer going to have that common denominator to uh, to rail uh, uh, against. Uh, what are they going to do then? They're going to implode. That thing's really going to fall apart then. That thing's really going to implode on them at that time, that Republican Party. Y'all can have to vote, y'all. Go to my website, hushmoblack.com, H-U-S-H-M-O-B-L-A-C-K, hushmoblack.com. There you can follow me uh, on Facebook from that page. You can buy my book on that page, both of them. The Water Boy, The Life and Trials of Jimmy C. Cameron was my first book. That's uh, kind of an autobiography. The second one, Racism and Hate, is my newest book, Racism and Hate, An American Reality. A uh, collection of essays, uh, documents, and historical uh, events chronicling uh, the uh, uh, the journey that... Uh, my people traveled here in the country and how the separate equal laws uh, impacted that uh, journey in a negative way, I mean, in a real negative way. So, yeah, I, I uh, documented in my book. It's a great, great read, uh, Racism and Hate, American Reality. Check it out. Let me know how you like it. Give me some feedback. Electronic version is three ninety nine, y'all. <laughs> it's not an excuse not to buy it. The electronic version is three ninety nine. Go out there and get your copy. Right. Go to Amazon.com. Go to where all books are sold. Google it. Racism and hate on American reality, y'all. You'll find some great, great uh Documents and essays that uh, of different periods uh, in our history after the Civil War, mostly after the Civil War. The events that transpired, how our 14th Amendment rights were taken away for some hundred years after the Civil uh, War was over. Yeah, we advocate for reparations. It is one of the ways that we can close that uh, economic uh, gap, the economic gap that exists in the country today between America's African descent and the rest of society, the way to close it is to pay uh, reparations to uh, 
those who were injured um, by the separate equal laws. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you asked for nothing that uh, no more than any other citizen would ask for. Yeah, we, uh, our 14th Amendment was taken away, yeah. Our 14th Amendment protection was taken away in the workplace, in the school place, in society. Well, we can come up with a number now. People talking about, oh, how much would that be? Hey, we'll come up with a number. We put a price on it. What we did is in my book, check my book out. I did a little uh, calculation coming up with a number. About $10 million a piece. Today's dollar, I believe, 1954, probably was, was somewhat less than that, but today it would be about $10 million for every America's African descent born prior to 1954, period. Yeah. Small price to pay for such a debt that uh, did so much uh, damage to the whole. Uh, the whole uh, community of uh, American citizens here. Yeah. Citizens who have built the country. Citizens who have fought in every war that the country had. I was reading, uh, looking at uh, Mordecai Johnson's story. Mordecai the Man and His Messes, the story of Mordecai Wyatt Johnson. Y'all know who Mordecai Wyatt Johnson is? A great, great American, y'all. First African-American president of Howard University. The first African-American president of Howard University is who he is. He took over in 1926 and stayed there until 1960. Just a dynamic uh, 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 person, individual. He was talking about, he gave this sermon, or not a sermon, he gave this uh, lecture in 1922 at Harvard University. Uh, just a powerful speaker, y'all. He was talking about back then in 1922 when blacks was coming back from World War One. how as soon as that war was over and they got back here, the whites in the South demanded that they take that uniform off and put the overalls back on and get back out there behind that plow and get back in their place where Negroes belong. He uh, uh, he, he talked about that at Harvard University, uh, trying to convince those folks that at some point the blacks uh, – we're starting to lose faith in the Christian religion that has sustained them up to that point. Uh, this is 1922 when uh, <laughs> uh, the war was over. They no longer needed uh, bodies to uh, fight in that war. Uh, so they uh, went back to their old racist ways here uh, in the country, in the South, predominantly. But they had races all over now, right? just the South. But you know, for the most part, it uh, uh, stood out more in the South because uh, that's where all the blacks were. That's where 90% of the black people was at in 1922. 90% of them were almost uh, in the South, you know, still. So uh, that's where you found uh, 
uh, uh, racism was more pronounced uh, in the South because of where all the problems. Uh, blacks were there. Racism in the North, too. On a lesser scale, but it was less blacks to be racist against. No doubt. Gunnar Murdoch. Gunnar Murdoch. And I got it in my book here. Y'all check it out. Did a uh, some six-year uh, uh, research into uh, uh, race relations in the country from 1938 to 1944, uh, commissioned by the Carnegie. Uh, Foundation uh, to study our race relations at that time, trying to figure out how uh, the impact of uh, uh, blacks was having on society. And uh, he determined, <laughs> he determined back then that eighty-five uh, percent uh, of white Americans. This is not me. This is a white guy, Gunnar Murdoch a white sociologist from Sweden, independent guy from outside of the country. He looked at this country from afar. He was independent of uh, this country, raised and taught at University of Stockholm. Uh, he was commissioned by the Carnegie uh, Foundation, or Carnegie Company, to do this uh, study, a in-depth study of uh the society uh, as it uh, pertains to uh, the Negro and how they fitted in in the society. He determined at that time or uh, 85% of white Americans had a racial bias against black people. This is uh, 1944 is when he published this thing. But as a result, six years of in-depth study uh, looking at it. I mean, he formed an input from some of everybody, you know, the people that uh, dealt in sociology and the likes, everybody from Benjamin Mays to W.E.B. Du Bois to Mordecai Jones, all of them had input into this big study. He determined, going from, from the north to south, to thousands of interviews and he determined that 85% of white people, North and South, had a racial bias, some kind of racial bias against America's African descent. It's 1944, y'all. 85%. Uh, surely that has come down in 2014. But still, that number hovers around 30 to 35% today. Uh, that's a big number. That's 75, 80 million people, y'all. That's, and that's part of the problem here with this black president that we have. That's why the politics in the country uh, is so muddled uh, and so uh, stagnant right now is because of that 35% of races in the country today. It's just a fact, y'all. And, hey, you know, this. Hey, stop all this crazy stuff about this president's numbers and how bad his numbers are. And that's the reason his numbers are that bad, because 35% of the citizens don't like him because of his color. It ain't because of what he's done, his policies and all that. That's crazy. Uh, any, any 
it doesn't take a genius to see that this guy came in office with a whole host of crazy uh, free wars, uh, uh, economy that was collapsing, and uh, all that has gotten better uh, uh, since this guy took office six years ago. All of that, and the stock market is up 200% since this guy took office, yet uh, his numbers is down in the uh, low 40s. His approval rate is down in the low 40s. A lot of that has to do with racism, you know, period. Ain't no ifs, ands, and buts. Ain't no, uh, uh, no, I hate to hear that. A lot of folks don't like to hear that. But that's just a fact, you know, A lot of the, of the president's numbers is, is due to racism. Racism cuts along all, uh, uh, cuts across all of society including the government to the Congress, uh, that racism cut across all uh, aspects of society. Uh, yeah. That is the reason this guy's approval rating is down in the 40s. The racism alone skew his numbers by up to 10%. This is what I say. That's what I say. And that it can be borne out if you look at uh, the the number of races that you have in the country. And his numbers are skewed by up to 10% just because uh, of his color, period. That guy doing a hell of a job. The president is doing a hell of a job in some trying, trying times here, the president is doing a hell of a job, and now you got Democrats running away, the white Democrats are running away uh, from the president. Can you imagine that? Because they know uh, uh, that in order to get uh, their racist uh, constituents to uh, vote for them, they have to divorce themselves from this black president. That's what that's what it's about, y'all. It ain't about the president's policy. You think Hillary Clinton or whoever the Democratic nomination is that nominee is in 2016 is going to uh, vary any kind of great degree from this guy's policy? Hell no. They're not. They can't. The policies have done a great job for the country. I mean, how they, whoever the next white Democratic presidential candidate is going to follow the same. Uh, path that this president's following you. That's just you know that it's crazy. There ain't nowhere for them to go. Ain't nowhere for them to go. Even the Republican, freaking Republican candidate in 2016 is going to adopt a lot of the uh, policies that this black Democratic president has put in place, y'all. Mitt Romney uh, put the same health care in in Massachusetts. The very same uh, uh, health care that this president passed that uh, they have been trying to pass for the last 50 years that he got done uh, in Massachusetts. He put that in up there in that state uh, some 20 years ago. Mid Romney did. And all of a sudden, there's some kind of uh, 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 some kind of uh, 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 some kind of I don't even know. I don't even know how how anybody could be against uh, insuring 40 million Americans without insurance, how anybody would have a problem with that, I don't know. That even sounds, that, that sounds just about crazy. Huh? The president is doing a hell of a job. 
president don't be black. And Mitt Romney had a, a war in that thing. You think he was going to do away with the affordable health care law? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He, he wasn't about to do away with it. And neither is the next president. And neither is the next president, whether it be Democrat or Republican. They're about to do away with it. I doubt if any of the president's uh, policies change uh, to any great degree. Uh, uh, whoever take that office in two years, 2016, whoever take that office uh, now, they've got to be on guard. Now, they might uh, strip away uh, some of the rights of uh, poor black people. They some argue the rights might be uh, uh, <laughs> stripped away, uh, stripped away and we ain't on guard. Yeah, we ain't on guard. Oh dear. Hey. Hey, I'm just calling it like it is. I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm calling it just like I see it, yeah. But uh Hey, we're going to take another pause for the calls. Y'all hang in there. You got me hushed on. We'll be right back. Advocated on your behalf, you're listening to the Smoke Like Forum. The only patient was alone and was isolated on her return to Newark Airport. She has tested negative for the virus. Hickox described her upsetting experience in the Dallas Morning newspaper, saying, this is not a situation I would wish on anyone. I am scared about how healthcare workers will be treated at airports when they declare that they have been fighting Ebola in West Africa. She goes on to say, I am scared that, like me, they will arrive and see a frenzy of disorganization, fear, and most frightening, quarantine. Meanwhile, Dr. Craig Spencer continues his treatment at New York's Bellevue Hospital. The 33 year old patient in West his fiance was also being monitored. She is one of two friends who remain in quarantine as a precaution. Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease physician, spoke to us about how the quarantine could affect healthcare workers who decided to get help. Actually, who decided to get help in West Africa. Here are doctors and nurses who are putting their lives on the line, taking a hit in terms of their earnings back home. <laughs> Um, and spending time away from their families to volunteer to help control the outbreak. And they're rewarded by being stigmatized and really being um, put through the ringer by officials and essentially, you know, being quarantined for another 21 days. Um, that's really not the way treating people the very people we need to be relying on to keep us safe. In the case of healthcare workers who've been working in Ebola treatment units like was uh, Craig Spencer in Guinea, these are the people who know the most about the disease, who've had real experience with patients with Ebola, uh, who know what the symptoms are, and know what the consequences of not getting treatment would be. Sure. And so it's in their interest, not just in the public's interest, but it's in their own interest to be monitoring for symptoms and to come forward as soon as they develop symptoms. Because with Ebola, time is of the essence. Starting treatment as soon as you develop symptoms is essential to survival. And so I think in this case, there, there's more than enough motivation for healthcare workers to do the appropriate monitoring and, and to do the right thing. 
Everything's Gears here. Millions of voters head to the polls tomorrow across Europe and Brazil to take part in a number of significant elections. At stake, independence, democratic rule, and the hope of a corruption-free government. In Ukraine, the country will get its first parliament since the February ouster of the Soviet-backed president, Viktor Yanukovych. It was a movement marred by a deadly confrontation between Russian-backed government forces and Ukrainian patriots. Tomorrow, voters are expected to support the party led by the new president, Petro Poroshenko. In Tunisia, security is a major concern for parliamentary elections there. Five million voters are expected to cast ballots for the first permanent parliament since the historic 2011 revolution, so-called Arab Spring. Tomorrow's election is considered a major step toward democratic in Brazil, the presidential election as well. Political corruption has become a major campaign issue there. The election is being called the country's closest presidential race in decades. The ruling Workers' Party candidate appears to have a slight edge, despite a deepening bribery scandal. More on the razor-thin contest now from Lucia Newman in Brasilia, Brazil. The latest opinion poll show that President Dilma Rousseff's approval rating has dropped slightly, but this is still very much high. Keep in mind that there are enough Brazilians out there who still are undecided to swing the presidential race either way. Now, their personal profiles are absolutely different, but both candidates' platforms seem remarkably similar. Even buying and selling a coconut at this busy market is a chance to show no opportunity is too trivial to demonstrate whose side you're on in Brazil's most fiercely fought elections in decades. The duel is between the incumbent Workers' Party president, Dilma Rousseff, a former left-wing guerrilla tortured and imprisoned in the 1970s, and Social Democratic Senator Aesio Nevich, the grandson of a famous politician who died the day before becoming Brazil's first elected president after its military dictatorship. Unlike the immensely popular and charismatic predecessor, Lula da Silva, Rousseff is seen as Brazil's Iron Lady, a tough technocrat who nonetheless represents the political party that in the last 12 years dramatically reduced poverty through increased wages and social programs. Nevis, who promises more business-friendly policies, is the market's favorite. Married to a famous model, he insists, like his image as a former playboy, Brazil can change. Someone who will go to Brazilia to combat corruption, reduce inflation, and freedom. Welcome back to National Black Forum, yeah. Boy, this evening is stepping away from us, yeah. We, our time flies when you're having fun. We always have fun out here on Blog Talk, engaging with uh, you all. We uh, look forward to uh, this evening. This Saturday evening, this two hours that I set aside just for uh, you all. We uh, wouldn't want to be any other place. 
What is this right here? Glenn Garcia. Oh, that's... Uh, Got a lot of uh, craziness going around here uh, in the city of Atlanta. They say that the the ace uh, is on the rise in the high schools around here in Atlanta. Uh, Ace is on the rise here in Atlanta, y'all. It has a lot to do with a lot of uh, bisexuals here and all kinds of stuff that uh, that's kind of uh, uh, a hotbed for the spread of AIDS. Uh, believe it or not, it uh, and there's an uptick in the high schools now. Uh, just uh, uh, we got to be. Uh, Cognizant of that, we, we've got to uh, try to educate our young people uh, about safe uh, sex, or you know, the, uh, we've got to educate our young people. We we got to they, uh, I don't know, something is something is terribly terribly uh, wrong yeah, with our young people. Uh, it seems like we've lost a whole generation of young folks. Uh, that's probably the, our fault, the parents. I, I fault the parents and the older folks my age. Uh, we, we're complicit uh, to what's going on with the young folks here today. We, we've got to step up our game and try to... Uh, we, hey, uh, welcome back to the National Black Forum. I've been carrying on here with the microphone call. Welcome back. Uh, Wow, this evening is about to get away from us, y'all. Uh, how time flies when you're having fun, as, a, as they say. We uh, was talking about uh, the AIDS epidemic uh, that's uh, on the increase here in Atlanta in our public uh, schools, y'all. Uh, somebody had a report at one of the community meetings uh, this week about uh, that. And uh, I, I say that uh, the community, the black community, have to step up their game. Yeah, we've got to step it up uh, and get more involved in our young people's lives and uh, try to educate them, uh, uh, educate them uh, in the in the. Not just safe sex. That, that's one thing. But they got to be spiritually uh, uh, motivated here. Uh, I believe. I think they've lost uh, some of the uh, spirituality here in the black community. And uh, one thing I was talking about Mordecai Mordecai Johnson, um, the first African American uh, president of Howard University, took over that job in 1926. Uh, well, back then he was talking about uh, how blacks had lost faith. Uh, in the Christian uh, religion that had sustained them up until that point. This is after World War II, World War I, or rather, 1922, speaking to an audience up in Harvard University uh, about uh, the plight of blacks at that time, coming back from World War I and uh, uh, facing uh, 
renew discrimination and racism uh, to the extent that uh, the blacks had lost faith in their uh, Christian uh, religion that had uh, sustained them since that civil war. Uh, they had, uh, 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 were starting to uh, doubt whether or not uh, the Christian religion that uh, they had uh, practiced uh, was doing them any good. And uh, a lot of them had uh, uh, dropped by the wayside uh, in terms of uh, their belief in it. And uh, that went on to other things. Well, this was the start of uh, a lot of the uh, uh, movement away from that. The black Muslims and all that stuff came about because of their uh, uh, plight uh, with the discrimination. Uh, a lot of them went to the Communist Party and other such uh, uh, outlets to uh, try to find uh, try to find some uh, some remedies for their uh, plight. As early twenties here, y'all, after World War One, uh, blacks coming back from war and uh, finding the same old racism that they. Uh, uh, lived under uh, before uh, World War One. They most them right back in the people came back and it was the manner that uh, the whites was here in the south was the manner that the blacks get right back in the overalls and behind the plow. <laughs> Never mind that they had uh, been dying uh, in Europe uh, for this flag, for this flag, yeah. And that, that was the same thing. I mean, even Vietnam, after Vietnam, the war that I fought and almost died in, and myself. They, and, and in the 60s, they were still uh, marching in the streets. Uh, blacks were trying to find, trying to find uh, some remnants of uh, equal justice here in the country. And today, we find ourselves still faced with uh, a serious amount of uh, discrimination and racism here in the country today. Our black young folks are being shot down in the streets uh, to a, an alarming degree uh, to a alarming, alarming degree. And uh, blacks are rebelling against that. We're going to rebel against it. That's human nature, you know. That's just human nature. Uh, unemployment. No groups suffer a higher uh, degree of unemployment than our young blacks and blacks in general. But our young blacks, unemployment is up to 40 uh, or 40 percent. It's over 40 percent, you know. It's crazy. Hey, now we, we as a community, like I said, step up our game. We've got to create as many jobs for our young folks as we can. Uh, I... Uh, I'm so proud of uh, black entrepreneurs that's creating jobs for uh, our people. 
we need more. We need a, as many entrepreneurs as we can get. The likes of Magic Johnson, Oprah Winfrey, uh, uh, it's just a whole host of them out there doing great, great work in terms of creating jobs for our uh, our youth, our young people. We need more entrepreneurs, huh? We have got to create jobs for our community. We have got to create jobs for our community on a larger scale than what we're doing. We're doing a great job. We're making progress here, y'all. we got to do a much, much better job. We've got to step it up, y'all. We, we can't, uh, we already see we got to step this thing up. Hey, uh, and one of the things we got to do is we got to get out there and vote this November 4th. we got to get out and vote in masses. Uh, I, I've never seen a more critical election, uh, perhaps in my lifetime, than uh, what's coming up in two weeks. This may be the most critical election, the most critical election that I've seen uh, maybe in my lifetime. Yeah, and I've been following this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of elections. That's going to be 70 years old here in February. I'll be 70 years old. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it all from Eisenhower when Eisenhower got inaugurated in 1952. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Hey y'all, don't date myself. Hey y'all, y'all don't know anything about that. Do you? When Eisenhower got inaugurated in 1952, yo, I remember, yo. So I don't see all the elections. I mean, I don't see them all from 1952 now until today. What's that? That's that's 67 years now. 70, that's almost three quarters of a century now. We've been around here. But when I was born in 1945, in the middle of a cotton field out in Henry County, the odds of me living to 70 was probably one in 600 million. <laughs> the odds of me living to 70 in 1945 as an American of African descent was probably one in 600 million. The odds of me living. The odds of me living to see a black president in 1945, uh, the mathematical uh, formula hadn't been invented. <laughs> I don't, the odds of me seeing a black president in my lifetime, in 1945, they don't even have the the formula to figure it out. Yeah. That's how great the odds were. <laughs> Thank God that uh, I did live to see a black president. But uh, yeah, so uh, we've seen it all. We've seen a lot of uh, elections come and go. This may be the most important. This may be the most important election of all. I voted every election that I've had a chance to vote since I was 18 years old. Since I first became eligible to vote, I have voted 
in every election that I was, or not when I was, when I was in service and overseas at that vote, but every election uh, uh, that I was available to vote, I vote. I vote religiously. Uh, everybody should adopt that uh, attitude about voting. It's important. Right now, they're trying to restrict the uh, uh, push back our voting rights. You know? <laughs> They're trying to make it harder for people to vote, which is just uh, 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 so crazy. It's so un-American. It's, it's almost unbelievable that they would uh, go there. You're talking about something that's un-American. How anybody would be uh, trying to uh, push back the voting rights of people. Hey, y'all, hey, it's just a black thing. You, you try to uh, keep me from voting. You just keep me from voting. You keep a lot of folks voting too. You can't just uh, 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 carve out. It used to be that you could come up with poll taxes and all this other craziness to uh, just kind of separate uh, a certain segment of society out now. Uh, no doubt. Uh, it seems like it's having a, a greater impact on uh, minorities right now. But uh, as sure as I'm sitting here, and injustice uh, anywhere is injustice uh, everywhere. <laughs> Just as sure as I'm saying it. If you uh, 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 prevent uh, my right to vote, uh, it's going to uh, prevent your rights somewhere down the line. Yeah. Uh, it's just the fact, it's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we got to be uh, on guard. We got to be on guard, y'all. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. This November 4th. Down at the bottom, you got a place you can leave a message. 
special. I ain't got no way to get to the phone's help. We'll uh, we'll we'll work something out for you. They said the Secretary of State in Georgia has lost some 40,000 newly registered voters, y'all. We got them in court. Somebody's got them in court now trying to find uh, the registered voters. We registered over 100,000 new voters here in Georgia. The Republicans are going to be, uh, <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be shocked. <laughs> they're going to be shocked here in Georgia. I can tell you that right now. They're going to be shocked at the turnout. They're going to be shocked at the turnout. I believe. I just got a feeling. I, I can feel it in my bones, as the old folks used to say. I feel this thing in my bones, you know. <laughs> People are going to be out there uh, in mass. Perhaps the largest uh, turnout in the state's history might be this November 4th, you yeah. It might be the largest black vote in history here in the state of Georgia. I'm predicting that. The largest black turnout in the state's history this November 4th. we got to make it happen, y'all. My Facebook friends, pass it around. Pass the message around. Vote. Everybody. Let's make this the largest turnout in state history. Let's make this November 4th the largest turnout in this state's history, in the history of the state of Georgia. We need to do that this November 4th. How y'all doing out there? I haven't heard from my friend, Mr. P. Yankee. Mr. P. Yankee, where you been? I can't get him to call me no more. I don't know what happened, Mr. P. Yankee. He don't be calling and with some good stuff. Don't be scared. You can call. I'm still here. <laughs> we don't take many calls. I mean, we do from time to time. We got a free call in number one eight 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 three eight one four, y'all. If y'all want to reach the house, got something to say. We'll take a call or two. We. We run this train by ourselves. It takes four people to run a train. Do y'all know that? Take four people to run a train, the conductor, the engineer, the brakeman, and a flagman, so that train can move. Oh, yeah, the westbound number nine, that's our train that we drive and conduct. Westbound <laughs> uh, number nine. Looked like uh, had another fence jumper at the White House. Yeah. I don't know where things going. Somehow they somebody's got the notion that they could just jump over the White House fence and run up to the White House and I guess try to have some kind of audience with the president. You can't do that. Yeah, the dogs got it. He's they, they finally they got the dogs out there on their job. They, why would you be jumping over the White House fence? I mean, that's he lucky he didn't get killed. He lucky he didn't get killed. Anybody jump over that White House fence? Uh, you know, they they put their life in danger. You can't be jumping on that. 
president of the United States and his family. He's in that thing now. This president already got more threats against his life than any other president, all the other 43 presidents put together now. And this president here, you know why. Oh, we know why. Pretend that they don't know why, but we know why. <laughs> hey. Racism and Hate in American Reality, my new book, y'all. If y'all don't know why, go read that book. <laughs> if y'all <laughs> go read that book, Racism and Hate in American Reality. Go check it out. Uh, give a copy to your friend for this holiday. Buy one for this holiday season, y'all. Pick up a copy of my book, uh, Racism and Hate, and uh, give, uh, give a copy to a friend. And uh, let's get some... It's got some rare documents in there. I got one document from uh, one uh, one document from uh, W. E. B. Du Bois dealing with the uh, uh, the plight of blacks uh, at that time, 1947. The uh, this thing was uh, published in uh, the Crisis magazine. Uh, uh, dealing with the plight of uh, America's African descent at that time, he uh, planned. Uh, he, uh, he wrote this thing uh, up, uh, documenting uh, the justices that uh, blacks were suffering at that time, and was planning on presenting it to uh, the Human Rights Division in the uh, newly formed United Nations up there. So, you know, the world was just dealing with uh, the massacre of the Jews by Hitler at that time. And uh, uh, we black folks here in this country was uh, suffering uh, some of the same atrocities that uh, the Jews uh, suffered there in uh, Germany. It was not that much different, you know. We suffered genocide here in this country for some 200 years, if you... <laughs> Just think about it. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And he was taking all this uh, stuff to uh, the United Nations. You want to read that uh, uh, that document. It's hard to find. We found it uh, 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 in an old book that uh, came out in 1950, Race... Uh, 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 Discrimination and Race uh, by uh, uh, Henry Rose, I believe uh, the book was, brought it out in 1950, dealing with uh, discrimination in the country. But anyway, they had a copy of uh, W.E. Du Bois, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois' uh, 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 essay that he had uh, wrote up for the to give to the United Nations. He never did get that thing to the floor of the United Nations because the, uh, the American delegation refused to uh, uh, bring it to the floor, refused, uh, refused to allow him to bring it to the floor. Although 10 countries did uh, ask for a copy of it, read it, and was uh, fairly impressed with it, but we never got it to, uh, to the floor uh, for them to act on it because the Human Rights Division had denounced uh, uh, discrimination and all that stuff. Uh, 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 for the Jews, uh, but uh, us blacks, Americans, Africans, here in this country, uh, never got their 
never got that case heard before that newly formed body uh, in 1947. It's a great, great read. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, it's a great, great read. Uh, we we got permission from the NAACP to reprint it. It's hard to find. Uh, that alone is worth the price of the book. That one article is worth the price of that book. Yeah. That one article is worth the price of that book. That's about 22 minutes till you. Yeah. Hour, 9 o'clock more. How time flies when you're out here having fun. we just been preaching this evening about the importance of voting. Uh, a lot of folks died for the right to vote in this country. And we urge everybody to exercise that right this November. This is going to be one of the most critical elections that we've seen. I can't, I can't stress that uh, enough. This is going to be critical, y'all. It ain't. Uh, uh, I'm, not just, I'm not just harping on that just to be harping on it. It's, uh, it's going to be critical for us. Hey, uh. My Falcon football uh, <laughs> friend, hey, we done changing the subject here, y'all, for a brief moment. My Falcon football friend, now that team ain't doing nothing. My team ain't doing nothing. Right now. We're too fast. We got a game in London, England tomorrow, y'all. You got to get up at 9.30 to watch that game. We'll be up cooking grits, fishing grits. <laughs> We're going to cook some fishing grits uh, for breakfast tomorrow, y'all. Y'all come over to the hot stove if you want to eat fishing grits for breakfast and watch the Falcons. That's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be fishing grits uh, tomorrow for uh, mañana for breakfast. Fishing grits for breakfast, y'all. Yeah. Uh, to watch the Falcons, yeah. Uh, Nine thirty here. Nine forty-five, I believe the game starts here. That's you know about three forty-five in England or two forty-five. It's about a six-hour difference in England, London. Why we going over to London to play one of our home games? I don't know. We. <laughs> The Falcons have been on the road for five weeks, y'all. <laughs> and, and we won one game. <laughs> we won one game on the road. But, uh, yeah, get up and check the Falcons out. Give them, give them some uh, love. Show them a little love tomorrow at 930. Uh, we're going to be cooking fish and grits over here at the hush mode. Uh, so, so much for our, so much for uh, the Falcons. Uh, we, we, we we gonna be lucky to win eight games. We win eight games, we'll be thankful. That's six that's six more games. That's gonna be tough to do, y'all. That's gonna be tough to do, y'all. We need to win six more games for the Hushmo to break break even uh, in this thing here. We're gonna see playing Detroit Detroit Lions. They you know, they they shouldn't be no better than we are. I don't think they're no better than we are. We play, our, we play any kind of decent game, but we done lost half the third team. I have to offer some lines to come. You got to protect that quarterback. 
You've got to protect that quarterback. You don't take that quarterback. We uh I'm trying to figure out this center we got. We got a rookie in there now because I'm an undrafted free agent we got in there playing center. That's the most important position on the land. We lost our center last week. And I think he was about the third string center. <laughs> we lost him. So we <laughs> We got to really step it up uh, 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 tomorrow with this uh, rookie center we got in there now. Uh, undrafted rookie center. I, I got to check him out, see what he's about, because I'm worried for the president. I'm worried about the, I'm worried about the quarterback's health. Herbie Hancock received some kind of award in a special concert at the Apollo Theater. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm just passing over the internet here. Yeah. I'm all over the place here. Herbie Hancock, one of my favorite uh, pia- pianists. I like, you know, he got into uh, this fusion stuff and all kinds of electric pianos and all that stuff. I like to see Herbie Hancock. I saw him when I saw him one time in, I think it was in Dallas. Uh, it was in Dallas, Texas, at a little small club. And uh, he was just, uh, uh, the show, the whole show, he just did a solo show, just playing the piano, regular grand piano. That guy can play. <laughs> oh, oh, he, that was the best uh, 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 that I've heard anyone play piano live in a jazz type setting, you know. This guy played that thing for about two hours straight. And I mean, this guy, uh, uh kid played, uh, Herbie Hancock. He received some kind of award at the uh, Apollo Theater. It's well earned. It's well earned. This guy's a trendsetter, yeah. He's a trendsetter. I haven't heard anything too much of, uh, from Herbie in a while. I'm glad to see that someone is honored here. This guy's a, yeah, I'm glad to see someone is honoring Mr. Herbie Hancock. We've got to, uh, what else is going on, yeah? Anybody got anything? Peter Gary, got anything? Did I miss anything? No, I missed so much, so much going on. I mean, yeah, we got the Ebola, we got ISIS, we got school shootings, we got uh, just uh, this world is uh, this world is uh, in turmoil. Yeah, this world is in turmoil. The blindness of obsession. Wow. Y'all, y'all need to pick up this book, Mordecai, The Man and His Message. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
uh, out of the docs. It's a uh, the story of Mordecai Wyatt Johnson. It's a great read. It's a great, great read. my new book, uh, How to Real the Fight, I'm starting to uh, research, well, not starting, I've, I've been researching it for a while now, but How to Real Disciples is the title of my new book, How to Real Disciples, The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow is the title of it. But we list 12 of our uh, greatest leaders who played an instrumental role in bringing down uh, the separate equal laws here in this country. And Mordecai Johnson uh, was one of those 12. Mordecai Johnson was one of those 12 that uh, we... uh, picked out. Now we've had thousands of great, great black leaders here over over our history in this country. But we picked we of all those thousands of great, great black leaders that we've had, Mordecai Johnson was one of the twelve that uh that I signaled out. Now everybody's got different uh takes on different uh, uh heroes. Mine's was, one of mine was Mordecai Johnson. I mean, we got Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, William Monroe Trotter, Marcus Garvey, Mordecai, Carter T. Wilson, Charles Hamilton Houston, Thurgood Marshall, Oliver Hill, Henry McNeil Turner. Those are my 12. Those are my 12. That particular order. But those are my 12. And uh, I kind of take a look at their uh, impact on uh, the seven equal laws and how they played a role in uh, getting rid of them from the Civil War. We start this story, uh, I'll give you a little insight into uh, the book, Our Twelve Disciples. We started the story in. 1852, July 4th, 1852, with uh, a speech by Frederick Douglass up in New York talking about uh, the meeting of the 4th of July to uh, the Negro at that time, 1852, before the Civil War. Now, mind you, uh, 85% of blacks were still slaves 
Well, damn, that 90% of blacks were still slaves at that time in 1852. So, uh, but Frederick Douglass gave this rousing speech on the 4th of July, uh, talking about uh, the meaning of that day, you know, the Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> that day, July 4th, uh, how blacks at that time viewed uh, that day in 1852. It was eight years before the Civil War. Some, you know, ten, some eight, nine years before the Civil War started, before A.D. Lincoln. He was trying to impress on the rest of the country how the slaves had a different take on the meaning of that independence. Uh, I mean, you if you're in chains <laughs> the fourth of July, obviously in eighteen fifty two had a different uh well uh viewed uh, it uh with a different perspective, the slaves did. I mean if you're in chains you're gonna have a different outlook on that thing, a different perspective on uh, the meaning of the fourth of July. And he uh uh, gave the speech. Uh, that's in my book too. We've got that speech, that entire speech in uh, racism and hate. But we start that book. We start my new book, Out Where the Cycles, uh, on that day with that speech. It's a great, great take. <laughs> she had some great insight uh, on uh, what was going on there. And it, it kind of prophesized uh, that uh, Civil War. It kind of prophesized that Civil War, y'all. Oh, yeah, that speech did. was talking about, uh, uh, he was comparing uh, the plight of blacks at that time with um, the Israelites being taken into slavery uh, by uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the time, who uh, went to and enslaved all the Israelites in the nation of Judah. drug all of uh, the citizens of Jerusalem out of uh, there and enslaved them in Babylon. He could draw a parallel. He drew a parallel with the plight of uh, the Israelites being enslaved in Babylon to the plight of the Africans being enslaved here in this country in 1852. Uh, their journey was uh, could be um, a parallel. He, he drew, he drew that, uh, uh, Check it out. The meaning of the Fourth of July to the Negro, Frederick Douglass. Y'all can Google it. I mean, you can read my book to find it. It's a great, great uh, uh, take on where our people, where our community was at that time in 1852 under slavery. It's a great, great take uh, on. 
predicted that. Uh, if man didn't correct uh, that slave issue, that the man upstairs through the prayers of some five million slaves at that time uh, who were praying to God Almighty for their salvation uh, and that God eventually would answer that prayer. (laughs) God eventually would answer the prayers of those five million slaves. And sure enough, he did. Hey, that civil war came along at the expense of some 600,000 lives. Uh, uh, that thing fell, yeah. <laughs> that slavery thing fell at the expense of 600,000 lives. Now, the man upstairs drove that thing, yeah. Answering the prayers of uh, some fabulous slaves here in this country, yeah. People try to figure out how did the war start, who started it. What was driving it? This and that. They still have to debate today how the war started, who started it, what was it all about. Hey, it's crazy. Go look at Lincoln's second inaugural address. He told you uh, what was driving that war. Go read the second inaugural address. He said that thing had got it out of control of man. Man was no longer driving that thing. The man upstairs was driving that war. That war would not be over until uh, they passed that 13th Amendment, until that 13th Amendment became part of uh, the Constitution. Yeah, that's, hey, y'all don't know. <laughs> they try to figure it out. Uh, who started and who was driving it, I can tell them. Uh, that little old me. Hey. <laughs> Anybody ever read Lincoln's second inaugural address, March 15th, uh, 1865? Go check it out. Go check it out, y'all. The the orchestrator of that, one of the protagonists uh, uh, in that war, I'll let you know (laughs) exactly uh, what was going on there, y'all. He knew, Lincoln knew. Uh, after a while, I mean, Lincoln was having nightmares. Y'all see the movie Lincoln? He was waking up at night with nightmares, trying to figure out why this war was still going on when some 600,000 people almost had died. Why was the war still going on? And uh, he figured it out. He went and called his Daniel. <laughs> he went he went to, uh, uh, to his Daniel to uh, uh, cipher that, that those nightmares that he was having. And uh, uh, sure enough, his Daniel told him that uh, uh, that's the man upstairs trying to tell you, uh, you better get that 13th Amendment <laughs> passed and included in that common, uh, Constitution, outlawing slavery here in this country, or that war is going to forever go on until that happens. That 13th Amendment passed, and uh, sure enough, that war came to an end two weeks later. That thing came to an end. Uh, Two or three weeks later. That's just history, too, y'all. That ain't no, we just talk That is a fact. That is a fact of history. No sooner than that 13th Amendment was passed and uh, <laughs> uh, that war came to an end. 
people stop dying, y'all. That ain't me just saying that, y'all. That ain't me just saying that. Y'all check the history. Check the history of it. If man can't uh, get it done on his own, there's a higher power. There's a higher power that uh, will take care of it. That's what I believe. And I'm, I'm no particular religious fanatic. I, you know, I believe in God. I believe in God. And what's going on today? These are scary times, y'all. These are scary times. There's so much going on today. I don't know if I've ever seen the world quite like it is today. Well, every day is different. Every day is new. So now every day is going to be different and new to you. But today, is, I've never seen the world quite uh, at the place that it's at now. It's frightening to me. I mean, I, I say that. What saves me, what keeps me from really going off the deep end is my <laughs> knowledge of uh, the man upstairs. Got it. Just about that time, y'all. Wow. It's just about that time. Two hours have slipped away from us. We're going to be back next week. November 1st, y'all. We'll be right back here. Same time, same station. 7 o'clock, 7 to 9. Y'all uh, have a good rest of the evening. You know, it's Saturday. You know how crazy people get out there on Saturday, y'all. Y'all be careful. And tell a friend about the Hushville Black Forum. We come to you live in living color every Saturday. And check our web page out. Check our new book out, Racism and Hate in American Reality. Tell a friend about it. Tell a friend about my show. Until then, y'all, we're going to leave you with it. Next week, we'll be right back here at the Hushmo Black Forum, y'all. Until then, ciao. The Hushmo Black Forum advocated on your behalf by covering news and events affecting the African-American community. Check us out. At the Heisman Black Phone, www.blogtalkradio.com.